Hi, and welcome back to the Middling Along podcast. I'm delighted to have as our guest this time, Dr. Katie Barber from Oxford Menopause. Uh, she launched the, the private service about 18 months ago. Uh, she also does work with uh, various businesses, so corporate services, and that's how we've gotten to know one another. She's just delivered two excellent sessions to the company that I work at in my day job, because believe it or not, this is uh, not my full-time job. So yeah, Katie, welcome along to the podcast. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me, Emma. So tell us a little bit more about why you decided to set up Oxford Menopause and sort of some of the rationale for, for doing that. Why, why is that something that, that's needed? Well, I pretty much now live, breathe and sleep women's health and menopause. And it's a passion of mine and has been for a long time. I started off um, in my GP training, have a, having a real interest in women's health and then ran the menopause service at the John Radcliffe Hospital in Oxford for a few years before moving into community gynaecology, which is now where, now where I work. So I am completely passionate about making sure women have access to specialist advice, but also time to listen uh, with a specialist about their concerns. And I think really the reason I launched my private service was just I felt I was really struggling to give women the time I wanted to give them on the NHS in a small time frame. Um, as a GP or even in the community clinics. Um, and for some women, menopause is quite complex. It's not a, a, a standard presentation that they can easily access help for. Um, and having the time and also dictating how long I can spend with women and the type of advice um, I can then explore in detail with them was just really a revolution for me and allowed me to have so much passion for what I'm doing. I feel it was really rewarding. So that's really why I launched that aspect of, of the uh, the work I'm doing. And that kind of led on to the teaching side of things. So teaching is something I've always done. I've taught medical students, junior doctors, consultants, nurses in lots of different roles. Um, and teaching is something that I love to incorporate in my weekly working life because sharing knowledge and empowering others to go out there and also help women is key. And the more we can disseminate that knowledge and expertise, so even if it's just a few little nuggets of information that are remembered by a junior doctor for years to come and then potentially influence their life as GPs or hospital consultants, um, for me, that's worthwhile. So I started off doing a lot of medical teaching and then realised that it wasn't just about educating my healthcare professional colleagues, but also about sharing expertise to allow women in general to be empowered about the knowledge for menopause um, and also understand more about their own health issues. A lot of the time, menopause management is something that you can be quite keen and, and involved in yourself and changes can be made quite simply through lifestyle changes and diet, exercise, etc., which I'm sure we'll come on to. But it wasn't just all about hormone therapy and medication. Um, and a lot of my consultations cover that area. So really, the reason I've started to do more and more teaching is to try and share expertise, share knowledge, and really allow women to be empowered to help manage their menopause and seek the right advice from the right person. And I think it's probably fair to say that the, the sort of the work that you're doing, going and talking to groups of people within business, within different organisations, has really taken off as companies have realized that this is something that they can't really afford to ignore and there's sort of that general kind of groundswell of popular I was going to say not enthusiasm that's probably the wrong word but more and more interest in this as a sort of a subject and certainly from the point of view of HR policies workplace policies and workplaces realizing that they kind of need to really up their game as far as this subject is concerned. 
Absolutely. And I mean, I have to say, I've had two more emails today from companies saying, look, could you come and do some education? So word clearly travels fast. And and I'm not particularly social media savvy, but the knowledge out there that these educational topics are key is just so important. Um, there's some fantastic organisations that I've taught in who are clearly wanting to support and empower their staff. As women, we form a huge proportion of the economic workforce in the UK and menopause can affect quite a lot of us adversely um, for a lot of our working lives. I mean, we spend probably half our lives now in peri or post-menopause working and, and half our total lives in peri or post-menopause. And to not achieve the optimum for our work life, personal life, relationship life is just it's just not on. There's there's things we can do to make that better. Um, and it's great when employers then approach me to say, look, what can we be doing to offer support mm. to our staff? We need to understand more of this. We need to understand how menopause affects women on different levels and also how it directly relates to us as a company or organisation because clearly going to one company and offering advice may be completely different from the next and how women uh, operate within that company and the roles they serve. And so for somebody, I mean, I guess what somebody, the reason somebody might come to you as an individual potentially could be that they they feel that they're just not getting anywhere with with their GP or what what would what could they expect from coming to a consultation and how does that then sort of feed back into their relationship with their GP surgery how how do those kind of two things work together Great question. I think the one thing they get with me is is time and and, Mm -hmm. uh, expertise to explore all aspects of their lives. So a menopause consultation in my clinic is really an hour. That's how much we give for a first consultation. And really, I want to understand where that lady's coming from. You know, tell me your story is typically what I say. Where have you come from? What is it that's affecting you? And where would you like to get to? And, it, and knowing a little bit, a bit more about that patient and understanding the issues that they're facing, how they've affected them, how long they've been affecting them. Some women choose to bring their partner, their friend, their relative with them. And that's really key. That other listening ear or that other person that's going to contribute to that discussion is key. And then it's really a joint discussion. I might need to examine the patient, but it's also about, you know, what things have you tried? What things have you heard about? Shall we talk about risks and benefits of all the different options available to you? And part of every consultation is looking at lifestyle. What things can you do to help yourself, not just to improve your menopause, but also about long term health consequences? I've got the luxury Mm -hmm. of a consultation to really allow women to take charge of their own lives and optimize these things as much as possible. But first and foremost, the discussions patients have with me are a joint conversation it's not just me offering a treatment option it's like what would you like to do what do you know here's the risks here's the benefits how are we going to make this best for you and I think the nice thing that women go away with is that um, understanding of exactly what situation they're facing exactly how the treatment options may affect them in a positive way but also about any risks of treatment and also a clearer understanding of what menopause is where they are in their menopause and what things might be addressed by treatment and what things might need additional help in coming weeks, months and how things will change. And I think having that time to really understand a woman's perspective and also understand more about how their menopause is affecting them is just a luxury I adore. Let's say then that they came away with a private prescription from you. Is that something that they can then sort of take back to their regular GP and have them, you know, maybe with some kind of explanatory notes from from you that sort of tells them why you've prescribed this and then would they be able to take that over? 
So all medication bar one or two things that I recommend in the private setting are available on the NHS. So inevitably, I'm asking GPs to prescribe. I've really facilitated the discussion and advised about a management plan, but then their GP can if they're happy take over my patients get an essay I'm afraid when they see me with lots of information (laughs) on and that letter is copied with their consent if they wish me to to their to their GP Um, and that gives their GP an understanding of what I'm doing because it's really important that we have joint health care and that um, even if women are choosing to see private specialists in whatever field that their GP is fully informed because that might impact on any future medical care their GP is giving or other medication that they wish to start and interactions need to be um, taken into account so I share that letter with the GP and with any recommendations on and I have to say most GPs are more than happy to prescribe the medication because it's licensed it's regulated it's approved locally for use Um, So the majority of hormone therapies are widely available in most areas across the UK. There's one or two things. There's a couple of testosterone products and one or two hormone products that uh, in certain areas are not available yet, but may well be coming on board with local formularies. And in those circumstances, women are offered uh, the choice of a private prescription if they want, or if they want for any aspect of their treatment, they're welcome to get that privately. And that means they can take a private prescription to their local pharmacy. They have to pay a slightly higher charge than an NHS prescription charge, but it's not a huge amount, or they can use an online pharmacy to obtain that medication from. So again, but that's a joint decision. Would you like me to send information to your G? and ask your GP to prescribe these medications or would you like to get them privately it's entirely up to the individual patient it's good to know that there's flexibility there so we we said that we might do uh, a little bit of menopause myth busting for the main part of the podcast so what do you think is the biggest misconception that people come to you with would you say that it is the breast cancer or goodness I can't you know it's too risky to go on to HRT I would say that's one of them, but I think the biggest one is I've been told I'm not menopausal because my blood tests are normal. (laughs) Um, So it's the women that are between 45 and 55 predominantly who are still having some bleeding, some cycles, who have bloods done and they're normal and they are invariably normal. There's no benefit to checking hormonal blood levels in women over 45 to diagnose menopause it's not a useful tool because levels can be high they can be normal they can be low it just depends on when that blood test is taken the other thing I find is that more younger women so women in their early 40s to mid 40s are coming in with again normal blood tests um, who may have some early perimenopausal symptoms that would benefit from treatment and again being told that blood tests are normal it's not menopause have some Mm. antidepressants too young (laughs) too young to be menopausal and and for a lot of women you know under 50 there's no significant increased risk of breast cancer if you use HRT in a younger cohort we're merely topping you up we're giving you estrogen that you're not producing in abundance but compared to somebody who's having no menopausal symptoms, it's not dissimilar the amount of estrogen you're being given to what that person's naturally producing. And so for some women, it's a case of have a go and see. Um, the other thing that is in women over 50, if you use HRT for less than 12 months, there's no increased risk of breast cancer. So for again, for women over 50, it's a case of, well, let's just try. If there's no contraindication and you want to see if this is going to improve your quality of life, have a go. So that's a really common myth. The other myth I've heard is my GP told me I'm still having periods, therefore I can't be menopausal. But perimenopause is a time frame. Anytime you start to develop 
biochemical, so um, changes in hormone levels or physical changes like sweats, flushes, brain fog, fatigue, mood swings. I mean, I could go on forever with all the symptoms until you're 12 months past your last period, at which point you're just, just defined as postmenopausal. But the perimenopause is what for most women is the most difficult time when your hormone levels are all over the place. That's not to say postmenopausally things aren't an issue, but that they're the women we really want to get hold of. And that can last for four to eight years. So if you're coming in having stopped your periods, you, you've often missed the boat on all those years where treatment could have really made a difference to quality of life. So that's another common one. Um, the breast cancer one, going back to your what you said, is 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 a common uh, misconception. You know, I don't want to take HRT, I will get breast cancer. Well, even if you have taken HRT and you get breast cancer, no one can say your your HRT has directly caused your breast cancer. Mm. It's about risks and benefits. And we do know certain types of HRT used after the age of 50 increase breast cancer risk slightly. So a baseline risk for women between 50 and 59, if we took a thousand perfect women who are slim, non-smokers, no family history of breast cancer, not drinking excessive alcohol, doing regular exercise, that baseline perfect group of women, 13 in every thousand over a five year period would get breast cancer. And depending on the type of HRT, whether you're having a monthly bleed HRT or a no bleed HRT, the risk goes up by seven to 10 cases of extra cases of breast cancer per thousand per five years. But in the real context of breast cancer, it's always worth thinking about lifestyle. So obesity is 10 extra cases per thousand women per five years. So you know, for a lot of women, the risk of breast cancer for them is not significant compared to the risk of breast cancer by being obese or smoking or alcohol excess or immobility in a sedentary lifestyle. So a lot of discussion I have with women is about myth busting and saying, look, this is the risk of breast cancer from HRT. This is the risk of breast cancer from, say, your obesity or your smoking or other lifestyle factors. And then this is the risk of breast cancer you may have because of your family history. Um, and it's putting all those into perspective. But it's risk. You know, we, it's the same as saying if you take uh, if you smoke cigarettes, there's an increased risk of lung cancer. It doesn't always mean that smoking caused your lung cancer. It depends on the type, but there's an increased risk associated. So that's the key thing to bear in mind with the breast cancer risk. Yeah. So kind of getting well, it comes back to, as with many things is to having the information, isn't it, before you, you make a decision and kind of having that nuanced risk information, as you said, at least then allows people to uh, to make that informed decision. So you mentioned testosterone a little bit earlier as being something that can be available both on the NHS and privately. And those um, sort of the, the way it's delivered is slightly different. But uh, I think I think a lot of people are surprised to sort of learn that the role that testosterone does play and how how critically important it is actually for for women. Oh, gosh, it, it's so important. Um, so our ovaries produce roughly 50% of our body's testosterone. Our adrenal glands above our kidneys produce the majority of, uh, of what's left. But when our ovaries aren't functioning normally, our testosterone levels decline. And in particular, it hits women from the sexual function perspective. So uh, libido, arousal, orgasm, um, all these things are adversely affected by low testosterone levels. And, and, you know, we shouldn't accept that this is the new norm, that we just have to accept a low libido or sexual dissatisfaction. It's a key part of any relationship um, and we're living longer. So why shouldn't we still enjoy an active sex life? 
But I have to say testosterone provides a lot more than just sexual function improvement. So women will often notice an improvement in cognitive function, clarity of thought, uh, mood, energy, muscle strength with testosterone. We're not talking about making women grow excessive facial hair. Um, and, and that's what we're keen to avoid with testosterone therapy. So it does need to be carefully monitored. And at the moment in the UK, testosterone should be prescribed by someone with a menopause expertise. Now, it doesn't have to be a menopause specialist. It just means it has to be prescribed by somebody who knows what they're doing. And a lot of GPs are doing more uh, educational sessions to then become confident to prescribe. Um, we're slightly limited on the NHS in that there's no licensed female male product we use male products um, designed for men but tiny tiny amounts of those so a man might use 10 15 20 times as much as a woman every day and we're talking about going from a very low level of testosterone menopausally to probably nowhere near what we're aiming for pre-menopause so you're not giving someone a testosterone level mm -hmm. like they're 21 again but just supplementing their hormone therapy and bringing them up a bit on their testosterone levels um, and invariably that has a positive impact particularly on libido but on all those other things like mood energy cognitive function um, and the, the, the improvements are subtle you know women don't suddenly feel like they've got the libido of a, a teenager again it, it is just a subtle improvement but for some women it's the it's the cherry on the cake I like to call it you know you, you're sort of adding that extra level of benefit for women to allow them to function and achieve their full potential and so does that have to be kind of layered on top of what would be considered in inverted commas, normal HRT, and then the testosterone kind of comes in secondary to that. Like you, you wouldn't get a prescription, a standalone prescription just for testosterone, presumably. On the whole, no. So we know that the maximum effects of testosterone achieved by using it in addition to hormone therapy, i.e. oestrogen. Mm. And that's because our bodies metabolize the proportion of testosterone into oestrogen if we're still oestrogen deficient. Okay. There have been some studies that actually show testosterone on its own without oestrogen can still provide benefit. But for the full potential to be achieved, you want some hormone therapy, HRT as we know it, so oestrogen um, and or progesterone with it um, alongside side for testosterone to be fully effective and one of the other things that I've sort of seen people say or, or perhaps be told is that you know once they get to a certain point that their GP might suggest to them that they they come off HRT it's sort of you know served its purpose and then um, you know they don't need to take that anymore what would you say to that Oh, this is such a common myth as well. This is sort of, you are 60, you must stop HRT. There's no <laughs> discussion about, <laughs> yeah, you know, how are you feeling? Is this working? Do you like it? What happens when you wean? And the bottom line is, and there's a lovely statement from the British Menopause Society to echo this, where there's no arbitrary time limit to HRT use. And providing women derive benefit from their therapy, they can continue it longer term, as long as there are no new contraindications or risks that would make it an unsafe choice. Now, it used to be that we had a cut off at 60. And that was because there was some limited evidence previously, that perhaps HRT use beyond the age of 60, increased your heart disease risk. We now know that not to be the case. And younger women under 60, particularly those who start HRT within 10 years of the start of menopause, have a huge benefit for heart disease risk lowering from HRT. We know in women over 60 who start or restart HRT, that doesn't apply, but it does not increase the risk. And I think we're going to see more and more women using HRT beyond the 60, age of 60 for quality of life. 
the bottom line is you may not need HRT. You may feel completely well without it. It might be that transition phase from whatever age to 60 that's the real rocky time for you when your hormones are not really playing ball and you need that supplementation and actually some women will successfully wean HRT off and stop without any adverse effects but I'm seeing more and more women who say look I've weaned it off it's I'm not getting terrible night night sweats or flushes but I just don't feel as well I'm achy I'm tired I'm cognitively not as sharp and I'm still working you know my retirement's probably going to be 70 by the time I get there so we're spending a huge proportion of our lives working in post-menopause and for those women, you can justify if you long as long as you're fit and healthy, you've got no new risk factors, you've not got a female cancer that's driven by estrogen that could be a bad idea with HRT, you've not just had a heart attack, a stroke, or a blood clot, then actually HRT use long term is a good option for many, many women, and more and more women are asking to continue. So how would you um I mean I guess that's it's it's almost like you kind of you've got to try it and see. So you if you got to that point, would you sort of taper it off gradually or sort of stop and then go back on if if the sort of symptoms were coming back I mean the best option is to try and wean slowly because if you withdraw estrogen abruptly our brains go into overdrive and start to stimulate our ovaries that are no longer working and that's what often drives some of the symptoms combined with that sudden withdrawal of estrogen and the estrogen deficiency that follows so a gradual reduction is far more preferable to an abrupt withdrawal and that's often easier by using estrogen through the skin because it's easier to cut down slowly than a pill that's difficult to break but there are lower dose oral preparations that you can then switch to most women will find that they either get their symptoms back as they're weaning so it might be they get down to a half dose and they feel fine and then they wean further and it starts to become a problem and for some women it's just about let's adjust the dose and give you the lowest dose that's giving you benefit and control of your symptoms for other women it's it's they're fine they stop and then their symptoms come back after a while and more and more patients are coming to me saying look actually I stopped it five years ago I, I've managed but I'm really not liking how I feel can I go back on and again that's an individual discussion about risks benefits what do you want to do it's about patient choice it's it's a completely different entity menopause to treating a medical condition where you know a treatment is going to save your life and you know you you will have some adverse effect if I don't give you this treatment menopause is a joint discussion with the patient you know what is affecting you what options are there what would you like to do these are the risks and benefits and then you make a, a joint management plan about how best to deal with those so kind of echoing what you were just saying about the sort of you know the trial and error and finding the right dose I think possibly so I uh, I'm not taking HRT I've never taken it but um, one of the the things from kind of researching and sort of talking to people for the podcast is that I think there's perhaps an expectation that you know you'll get your HRT and then everything's kind of swimming from from there but it it does sound from what I've been hearing as though a you know some people don't always react brilliantly to it and b for, for many other people, it, it, you know, you kind of need to experiment a little bit to find a dose that is the right one for you because we're all special, unique people with different symptom kind of combinations. So how how does that tend to work in your experience? Are there sort of some people who, you know, they get their prescription and off they go, that's fantastic, and then there's sort of a, a kind of a particular 
proportion that that need a bit more kind of tweaking and and kind of it oversight you've summed it up beautifully yeah there are some ladies who will waltz in after their first appointment and say this is amazing everything's better thank you very much and I think wow that's good you know first time on that one that's the probably more rare um group of patients that you you fix everything with just the the right dose but the first thing is when you take a history from a woman with menopause is about listening to what they've tried previously what hormones they've used perhaps as contraceptives in the past because there's there's two sides of this really the estrogen replacement is often the easier bit to get right but it's if you've got a uterus and you have to have some progestogen alongside because otherwise Mm. estrogen on its own can cause some womb lining abnormalities it's the progestogen component that often gives women the side effects like bloating like irregular bleeding like mood change and it's about listening to the woman and saying what have you tried previously what worked well for you what didn't work so well and making the right choice so it isn't a one-size-fits-all with HRT prescribing and dosage is also completely different you know if I meet a woman at 58 who's had two or three years since the end of their periods and wants some treatment because they're getting debilitating symptoms the starting dose for that lady will be different to a lady at 45 and the amount she might need might be different so it is a case if you've got to review you've got to reassess adjust and tweak And for some women, it works great for several years. They're absolutely stable and maybe they've started it in their late 40s. And then when their ovaries really drop off, maybe in their early 50s, I mean, the average age of menopause is around 51 in the UK. So it's quite usual for then requirements to change. And that's Mm -hmm. why that regular review is needed. I mean, most women should have at least a once a year review on HRT, even if they're completely stable. But in the first six to 12 months, it's normal to expect two or three reviews, get your HRT sorted, get it right, feel well, everything's optimized. Okay, now we'll see you annually but come back if things are not right let's reassess let me know if you have any abnormal bleeding or side effects so that's where it's not an exact science and it's a bit more tricky and you've got to listen and adjust and and likewise with the weaning down if women do want to wean down sometimes it's a case of where are you now how are you feeling do we need to adjust again what's changing for you and so I know it is very hard to generalize but let's say that somebody has just started HRT if they were going to have a sort of um or find that they weren't kind of getting on with it as well as they would hope would would you expect to see that reasonably quickly sort of within the first couple of months yeah I mean I normally review my ladies about three months after they start and I often give a an advice plan that starts with a low dose estrogen if they're starting it for the first time and gradually build up because if you give women too much estrogen too quickly their breasts feel really tender they get headaches they feel quite sick and you know if you give a whopping great big dose of estrogen and all these adverse effects happen then it's quite reasonable a woman's going to go well I'm not taking this stuff this is dreadful and pull back so just gentle introduction but it's also about expectation explanation you know it's not just here's a prescription off you go it's this is what I'm agreed we should try these are the likely side effects this is what I'm expecting you to feel better and how long it will take to for you to feel better so it's all about managing expectations because it's unusual for me to give a prescription within a month women feel top of the world it's normal for improvement to be noticed within the first four to six weeks so estrogen deficiency can be quite easily corrected and women start to feel better around the four to six week mark some women feel better much much more rapidly than that um but it's it's 
usually the side effects are within the first three months. And often by the time women come back to see me at three months, they've had a few little niggles in the first couple of months, but they've ironed themselves out because they've persisted and then they know they've got that follow-up to go through. Um, so things like a little bit of minor bleeding or a little bit of breast tenderness tends to have eased off. So that will kind of settle as your body gets used again to the sort of new kind of hormone levels and yeah yeah it just takes a while for for your body to accommodate it's a it's a new medication going in your hormone levels need to adjust so just give it a little bit of time and be patient there were quite a few headlines recently about uh, products being available sort of over the counter that's not specifically the sort of the hrt itself that was more talking i think about topical estrogen yes spot on so um obviously an hrt patient taking hrt it's got to be a a very careful discussion looking at risks benefits safety the product they were looking at is a vaginal preparation of estrogen that comes in a little pessary and on the whole this is incredibly safe which is why it's been proposed to be rebranded as a a non-prescription item and over-the-counter product and even women with breast cancer can use low-dose vaginal estrogen because so little of it gets into the bloodstream. It doesn't increase the risk of recurrence from breast cancer. Um, and But I have to say, I, I spoke on the, the radio about the over-the-counter headlines um, because I think even though it may be limiting what women can access over-the-counter and, and a specific medication that's obviously safe and could be Uh, licensed in that way for some women it's the start of a conversation it might be I want some of the vaginal estrogen I can get over the counter and the pharmacist then says okay what symptoms are you getting is it just Mm -hmm. vaginal dryness and soreness and painful intercourse or is there something else going on and actually that might be a great opportunity for women to be given information and directed to the right healthcare professional to seek further advice and information and support if they've got other symptoms not just the vaginal side any other sort of major myths that you can think of well, the other one is I'm going to delay my menopause by taking HRT. Um, that's a really good one. Um, so you're not delaying anything. Your menopause happens. Your ovaries have a finite amount of eggs, follicles in their lifetime. And when they've all run out, that's when menopause happens. Uh, you've, you've run out of eggs. That happens regardless of what you're doing with the hormones, that if you use HRT, it's not delaying what's happening in your natural ovarian function. So you're not delaying anything. You're merely replacing the estrogen. You're not producing in abundance um, and preventing the symptoms that are associated with estrogen deficiency and and, uh, ovarian function declining. So that's a key thing for women. You're not going to postpone menopause. You're not delaying it. You're not preventing the inevitable. It's about managing those symptoms associated with the loss of ovarian function adequately. Um, The other one um, that's quite common is um, all my symptoms will come back when I stop. And whilst there are some women who need to continue using HRT for symptom control, um, a lot of women successfully wean HRT and stop at whatever age they choose. Again, joint discussion with a healthcare professional. But I, I like to emphasize to women that, you know, if you use HRT within 10 years of the onset of symptoms and for any period of time up to the age of 60, that lowered risk of heart disease, lowered risk of bone density loss, lowered risk of bowel cancer and diabetes apply. They're often not in the headlines. It's breast cancer mm. that gets the, the headline as a negative about HRT, um, but so many positives as well. I mean, you know, heart disease has uh, far reaching effects. 26,000 women in the UK. UK roughly each year have heart disease related issues or deaths from heart disease so you know it's really important we look at those those risk factors particularly if you've got family history or there's other things going on that put you at increased risk. One final question before we wrap up and you might not have the answer to this but it's something that has always kind of uh, made me wonder 
some lucky souls seem to get through this with <laughs> no symptoms or at least te- you know say that they have no symptoms do we know why that is not really there's a genetic predisposition so often one woman's menopause is similar to her mum grandmother um sister um i just think some women are extremely lucky it 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 depends on a whole host of uh, factors it depends on why menopause is happening at a particular age you know we often find that women who may be a bit older when they have their menopause it can be shorter and sharper um but it's so so variable um particularly with flushes and sweats they're they're linked with high levels of follicle stimulating hormone and and women who often have a very abrupt menopause it can be more marked but it's so difficult to predict and gosh yeah it'd be great to know or predict how bad your menopause yeah. is going to be that would be wonderful I'll just I'll just take those three years off and uh, yeah, exactly. take myself off to a desert island for a bit <laughs> <laughs> away from everyone else oh, <laughs> oh Katie thank you so much for giving up some of your time because I know how busy you are yeah it's been lovely to talk to you again thank you so much it's been a pleasure Emma thank you You've been listening to the Middling Along podcast. Do remember to subscribe to be notified when our next episode is live. And why not visit the blog at www.middlingalong.com to sign up to my newsletter as well. I do hope you enjoyed listening today. If you did, I'd be really grateful if you would consider leaving a short review as that helps people find the podcast and helps get it noticed. Hope you can join us next time. Goodbye for now.